Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Notice That is a project of Think Beyond a listener-funded media house focused on connecting humans through therapy and art. To keep this podcast going, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon by searching patreon.com slash thinkbeyondhealing in your favorite web browser. And don't forget to check out our new merch by going to our website at connectbeyondhealing.com and clicking on the merchandise tab. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. If you've kept up with the podcast lately, you know that for the holidays, the Notice That team will be taking a break from our Back to the Basics series for a few weeks. So what we've decided to do is release portions of our EMDR supplement, an EMDRIA-approved advanced training that was designed for our certification program. This episode is going to cover what EMDR resourcing looks like from our perspective and how we prepare our clients for reprocessing. While on the standard eight-phase protocol, these ideas are specific to phase two, what we'll cover in this episode helps us understand how resourcing can really be a central focus of each phase of our work in EMDR. As a reminder, the EMDR supplement is embedded within our certification program, and we work through the content of the advanced training over the eight months that we partner uh, with clinicians in the pursuit of EMDR certification. We have certification groups that begin monthly, so if you're at all interested in taking the next step in your EMDR professional development, head over to connectbeyondhealing.com and click on the four therapists tab to see our course calendar and register for a group that fits your schedule. And one last thing before you listen to the episode, the Notice That team has decided to become a sponsor of the 2024 Emdria Summit in Bellevue, Washington. We're very excited to participate in the summit and to have the opportunity to hang out with EMDR clinicians in person. Uh, the dates of the summit are April 18th through the 20th, but we'll also be there for the trainer and consultant day, which is on Wednesday the 17th. As a part of our sponsorship, every summit attendee will get a Notice That tote bag uh, to take with you throughout the summit experience, and we'll also have a booth for the three days where you can come interact with us in person. So if you're planning to attend, or if this is the first time that you're hearing about it, uh, we'd love to see you there. Registration information for the summit can be found at emdriasummit.com. All right. We hope you enjoy this episode and that it encourages and inspires you in your therapeutic journey and your EMDR practice. Enjoy. So resourcing is such a familiar concept in EMDR therapy, but we really want to break down exactly what is a resource. 
We utilize that word often, and it's really important in the process of trauma healing, but understanding it on a more neurobiological level can set us up to you know, further expand how resourcing looks with our clients and be able to get really creative with it. So a resource is a neural network that is uh, stored in a state-dependent, the stores state-dependent memory, and this memory then contributes to the individual's adaptive understanding of themselves or the world around them. So just like a trauma network, it is stored in a state-dependent fashion, but the difference in a resource is this is something that will help and contribute to the adaptive nature of the, in, the individual's understanding of themselves in the world. Mm-hmm. So part of what that means is that new adaptive experiences that our client has can then be turned into a resource by bringing the individual's attention to their felt sense of the experience. It's really important that if we want to do this, that we um, work with our clients so that they're really feeling it in the present moment. It's not just about thinking about how I felt then when it felt good, but there has to be a real evoked present tense feeling of that positive sensation and what created it in order for it to become a resource. A resource can be called up as a means to presently reconnect to that adaptive state in which the memory was originally stored. So it may be if we are currently experiencing a state of distress or activation of some sort, we can call upon a resource of the past to help to regulate that distress. Mm -hmm. It can also be something that if it's something we need um, more adaptive insight around adaptive thought patterns, if we reconnect to memory networks of the past that are stored in that way, it offers us that similar adaptive insight and adaptive experience. Mm -hmm. And we want to remember that resourcing can be utilized for the sake of state change or trait change. So remembering state change is that short-term temporary shift from feeling maybe activated to then feeling calm. And that trait change is that more long-lasting shift in the person's overall personality. And resourcing is helpful for both, which is part of why both Jed and I love resourcing. We spend a lot of time in resourcing because it just is that important and that useful. When we repeat the use of a resource for the sake of state change, especially when it's paralleled with the processing or memory reconsolidation, it then holds the potential for greater trait change. Mm -hmm. So resourcing can be utilized for state change or for trait change. So there's actually more than one way to go about installing a resource for a client. Um, And sometimes it kind of depends on what situation we find ourselves in and why we're deciding to do a resource at that particular time. So one of the usual ways, one of the ways that we're uh, likely to first introduce resourcing to our client is through planned resourcing, meaning this is what we meant to do today. (laughs) Sometimes we find ourselves doing it more on the fly, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But planned resourcing is when we decide to develop and install a resource as a specific therapeutic uh, intervention, and we have a particular goal that we've previously identified for why we're deciding to do that particular resource at that time. This type of resourcing can be really helpful in developing rapport with your clients, Mm -hmm. reducing symptoms, creating stabilization. Um, This could be an entire session or several sessions with a client, and it's still considered EMDR therapy. Mm -hmm. 
We could also get really creative in this place. We can use scripts that maybe we've already been given. Mm -hmm. We can also create our new planned resources dependent on what the individual themselves is needing more of in their life or what type of adaptive networks they're needing to access. We can also do resourcing uh, on the fly or on demand, meaning we're in the midst of doing something else with our client, and it becomes apparent to us that potentially a resource would be very helpful for whatever we're trying to achieve in that moment. Um, oftentimes, uh, we do this either because we're at a stuck point in our processing, and we believe that if we added in a specific resource, that may help them to overcome that stuck point or barrier. The other thing is sometimes we find ourselves in a moment of dysregulation with our client, and we believe that adding in a resource in that moment would help to bring them back to a stabilized moment so that then we could assess, are we going to move forward with reprocessing, or is that enough for today, and we're really just going to rest here in this more resource place before we decide to move on. One thing that I found is kind of an added bonus to resourcing on demand is when the client's nervous system is in a state of activation and we draw back to old memory networks to assist in an adaptive you know, regulation of that. When it's then partnered with the co-regulation mm -hmm. of the therapist offering that resource, mm -hmm. and not just saying, hey, call back to that one moment, but really walking them through that in a co-regulated way, we then get the double benefit. They get the benefit of the adaptive network from before while partnered with the co-regulation in the present tense that can further enhance the therapeutic alliance and also create an attachment experience of co-regulation for the client. That's right. And those moments uh, tend to be incredibly powerful mm -hmm. for clients. Um, and they're also kind of wonderful as therapists. <laughs> um, and so especially sometimes if we've done a lot of really intense work with a client, we may pull back a little bit and start to do some of that on-demand resourcing um, as a way of kind of coming together and reattuning, not because the client is totally overwhelmed and dysregulated, but because it's a way of really nurturing that bond that we have with them. And we really believe that that's a huge part of trauma work. A really common question that we get is, how do you partner bilateral with resourcing? Is it slow? Is it fast? Do you go long? Do you go short? And you use it at why all? behind mm -hmm. it? Right. So resourcing can be done without any bilateral stimulation at all. It is just the exp an adaptive experience that is going to be stored within the client system. So that could be just any moment in time within the therapy session. But if we want to further strengthen and enhance the way in which that's stored within the system, we can partner that with bilateral stimulation. We would select sh slow and short sets of bilateral for a couple of reasons. When we're utilizing those slow sets of bilateral stimulation, it offers that back and forth activation, that stimulation of the system, but in a slow way that can activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Keeping those set short helps to reduce and minimize the possibility of other associations to other neural networks and potentially avoid the possibility of something maladaptive, activating, or traumatic from coming up. That's right. One of the uh, phrases that I like to use is slow, short sets of BLS kind of help our client marinate in whatever that experience is. So when we're doing resourcing, we want them to really be able to settle in and feel deeply into that positive experience and the co-regulation uh, that they're experiencing with us in that moment. So those slower, shorter sets really helps their system kind of settle in there and soak up the goodness of that experience.
As you guys have probably realized, there are several different types of resources that we can do. The list goes on and on. We want to spend a little bit of time today just kind of talking about some of the very standard resources in EMDR therapy. You likely learned about these at the training, the basic training, or maybe just through your experiences of working with other EMDR therapists. Mm -hmm. I'd say the number one most popular common resource is Calm Safe Place. That name's been altered a little bit into Calm Place or even Calm State. So historically, it was called Safe Place, and that was the idea of trying to access a felt sense of safety within the system and trying to re-evoke that experience. That has changed because we've learned in highly traumatized populations, the concept of safety is really difficult to access or may actually feel unsafe itself. It may be um, almost a threat to the system to sink into a place of feeling safe. So as that's been shifted, we're now looking more at what would be a calm or neutral place, or if it's not associated with a place, what's a calm or neutral state or activity. You can kind of get creative with the words that you use there. Mm -hmm. The purpose of this resource is really to help determine whether or not a client is able to shift from a state of activation back into a state of neutrality or calm, peaceful, safe, something desirable. And this is really critical before starting EMDR processing so that we know that they have an ability to regulate and that we can partner with them in the regulation of their nervous system. And they have that autonomic flexibility to move in and out of activation back into a state of calm. Yeah. I think uh, one point that we want to make is how to do a neutral resource uh, because there are a lot of times where clients can't really connect with a calm place or calm experience because of all of those reasons that Jen listed, or the idea of feeling good is activating because they don't feel worthy of it. Um, and so sometimes at the very beginning of treatment, it's even activating for them to attempt that. Most people, I would say 99% of people can access a neutral resource without feeling a state of activation. So neutrality is a little bit different than calm. And one of the ways that we can introduce clients to this is to find a place in their body that currently feels neutral. I like to inject just a little bit of humor here because usually if we're doing this, it's because they've just had a moment of activation around the idea of trying to do a calm place. So one of the ways that I invite them into this is asking them, how does your left pinky finger feel right now? The answer is usually nothing, which is exactly what we want, right? Or your big toe or your right earlobe, a whole lot of nothing. And that's exactly what we want. Neutrality is actually just as effective for coming back to baseline if we're in the midst of reprocessing as a calm place. So if they can achieve a shift into neutrality, we can move forward in the process carefully and slowly, but we can move forward if we can establish a neutral resource. Another really common standard resource is container, and this is you know, a way in which we're supporting our clients with compartmentalizing or being able to store disturbing or activating material that doesn't feel helpful or beneficial for them to take with them for the remainder of the session mm -hmm. or even outside of session. So container, we're aiding them in visualizing something that can hold the contents of their memory network. It could be somatic material, emotional material, cognitive material, 
um, that we're inviting to rest in that container, the key piece of the container exercise is that it's temporary. Mm-hmm. We're not encouraging them to dissociate these aspects away or to repress them, but more so just temporarily hold them there where they can then be attuned to and addressed and reprocessed at a later time. Mm-hmm. Another kind of resource that we like to do with a lot of people, especially near the beginning, is a relational resource. A relational resource is kind of exactly what it sounds like, is an internalized sense of a relational quality that's going to be positive and helpful for them. So two of the most common and helpful would be a nurturer or and a protector. So a nurturing figure could be somebody like a grandma, if that was a really nurturing and positive relationship, whether that grandmother is still part of their life or not, we can install that relationship as an internalized resource that can be incredibly beneficial as we move into reprocessing. Same thing with a protector. A really common protective resource that I know both Jen and I have done with a lot of people is a pet right? A dog, et cetera, um, that they experienced a strong bond with, but they had that experience of this animal wanted to protect me or this person wanted to protect me. It's also really possible possible with relational resources to use uh, mythical figures, uh, imaginary figures, or even spiritual figures like God. Installing God as a nurturing and protective resource is great for some people. Two other resources, Light, Stream, and Spiral, are more so oriented around the somatic experience. So we're really looking at the body and how is it storing certain material and creative ways in which we can attempt to release that. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about light stream, we're visualizing a light. A lot of people refer to it as a healing light Mm -hmm. that can come in and really shine specifically on the state of disturbance that's held within the body. Maybe that's like a knot in your stomach or tightness in your shoulders. And as that healing light comes in, there's the experience of the the light changing color, it releasing through the body, kind of breaking down that tension or disturbance until it's fully released. And spiral works very similar. We're going to visualize a spiral, spiraling motion around that body sensation, and then begin to change the direction of the spiral. So where that tension is tight before, we're kind of unwinding it and releasing it from the system. Mm -hmm. Both of these are very beneficial when a client is kind of stuck or blocked in a a place of processing that's associated with a body sensation. Mm -hmm. This can help kind of move that material into other forms of processing where they're able to experience it more emotionally, access more thoughts and insight around it. But it can also be utilized for them outside of session if they're experiencing some form of physical disturbance that they want to release. Yeah. Um, Light stream and spiral, I find them really beneficial for anybody that struggles with a lot of psychosomatic symptoms um, or even chronic pain. Um, So thinking about if you have clients that have a lot of that physical presentation or pain presentation, those resources can be tremendously helpful for them. And one of the things that they, uh, those resources do is it teaches their system that they do have some control over the intensity of that pain or those somatic experiences that can be tremendously helpful in reprocessing the root issue of why they're experiencing it. Moving into some more intermediate or advanced resources, again, this list could go on and on. And by no means what we'll talk about today is, is it exhaustive of what's out there. We would both encourage you to access additional training for more resourcing information, but this can kind of give you a toolbox to work with. 
Um, as Melissa had mentioned before, relational resources, expanding those into really focusing on attachment. So relational and attachment resourcing can include nurture protector, but what we're wanting to do at this level of resource is really look at the individual's development, early, early development, and considering what were those attachment experiences and what needs did not get met um, through those relationships. And so this is resourcing that's oriented back with a lot of intention and purpose and helping to correct some of those maybe um, ruptured attachment or attachment wounds that were experienced early in life. And as we go and install these resources, we're doing it developmentally. We're attuning to what is the needed resource for that developmental stage. So where in before and standard resourcing where they may identify, you know, a dog they have now as a protector, when we get into the attachment resources we're looking at for infant you, what type of protector felt needed. Mm -hmm. This can get into some work that's really beautiful around like ideal parent, um, other figures like that as we go back through and try to correct some of those attachment wounds. Mm -hmm. Another set of uh, intermediate resources that can be a whole lot of fun to do with clients, I really enjoy these, is mastery resources. Um, sometimes you'll hear these talked about as character development resources. And the way that we work with these is to find moments in the person's lived experience where they were able to do something that they struggle to do on a regular basis or um, finding an experience that holds the quality that they're wanting to increase or feel. Um, and then we install that as a resource into their system. So an example of that may be if someone comes in and is saying that they want to feel more personally empowered. They want to feel like they're capable of doing really hard things. The way of identifying a mastery resource would be to ask them, when is a time in your life where you did something that was incredibly hard and you were able to do it and overcome all the challenges that you had to. And they may say, well, I gave birth naturally without pain medicine and I felt like a badass afterwards, right? Like that's a great mastery resource for anybody that's done that. Another really common one would be somebody that's ran or trained for a marathon, right? Or they graduated from graduate school because my gosh, that's a lot of work. So any of those lived uh, experiences that demonstrate to them, you are capable of really hard things. We could use that and install that then as a mastery and character development resource for them. But we can do that for all kinds of things. I want to feel more lovable, right? I want to have more self-confidence. I want to be able to uh, feel proud of myself. Anything that the client says I want more of, we can use this way of resourcing to enhance that for them. So one of my favorite types of resources to develop and to revisit is any progress that the client has made in or outside of therapy. Mm -hmm. So this is resourcing recent experiences, but moments that come up therapeutically in my session when I catch a certain moment where maybe they've been able to present that character, um, that characteristic that they had already decided they desired to have more of. So in the example of maybe having more courage or something like that, and they show up and make a courageous decision in session, I can say, ah, oh, there was a moment that we, that just passed where you expressed a lot of bravery and courage in what we were doing. I wonder if we could just pause in this for a moment and turn this into a resource. 
So we're looking for moments throughout the therapy session, but also things that they talk about outside of therapy and they come in to tell us. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were able to, you know, order that meal at the restaurant when it came in wrong, send it back and use their voice and express their preference and desire. As they're talking about a moment like that, to them may feel like nothing, but we're going to grasp onto that and say, this is a moment that we want to further strengthen and install so that we are building these adaptive neural networks that we can draw from when we go into processing other traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. Another really great resource is, uh, the, well, it goes by lots of different names. You could call it their resource team, their allies. Um, I've heard it called a circle of support. Uh, really doesn't matter what we want to call it, but the idea here is that it's a way of collecting um, real people, like real relationships that they've actually experienced, imaginary relationships. It could be um, figures from a book or a movie that they love. It could be spiritual figures like God or Jesus, etc. It doesn't matter where it comes from, but it's a way of bringing together several different figures that feel very supportive and encouraging and loving to them and imagining them being all in one place together. So I had a client that did this, and when I asked how they wanted to visualize this, they really liked the feeling of they're sitting at a campfire and all of these loving humans are sitting around the fire with them and they're just talking and laughing and being together. And they're having this embodied experience of all of the wisdom and the love and the support that I could ever need is right here with me right now. And so whenever they needed to have that feeling, they could go to that place in their mind and that would evoke that sensation in their body of not being alone, of having access to whatever resource they needed by connecting with that inner team of allies that we had developed. Um, This is great to do with little kids. They get super creative and into it, right? Uh, This is like uh, imaginary friends, but with a purpose. (laughs) In fact, I think all imaginary friends have a purpose. But we can use that as a resource for them, and it can be incredibly useful as we move into deeper reprocessing work. One way I love to use this resource specifically is if we have that identified gathering place or meeting place for them, when the client is experiencing a block in their processing or they're stuck or looping in some way, we can invite them into visiting their gathering place or their meeting place and just asking them to look around and call on one of those figures to join them. And so they can recruit whatever resource holds the characteristic that they're needing or the support that they're needing and draw that into the memory process, the memory reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes a great way to organ- organize all of the resources that the client has developed. It's an easy place to access it and it can become very meaningful and significant in their trauma work. Yeah. So one of the uh, ways that we like to encourage people, especially when we've gone through that process of developing uh, those resources, is to remind them to use them outside of session. Right? And when they begin to do that, they really begin to understand the power and the utility of those resources. And that's part of how we shift uh, resourcing from just being about state change in the moment to a much more uh, trait change experience for them because they're feeling how they can have access to that on a regular basis and that they're able to evoke that sensation in their body whenever they need it, which is such a healing experience for them on a big scale, not just a immediate and temporary scale. So there are a couple of ways that we can really further strengthen and enhance a specific moment for the utility of a resource later. 
And one way in which we would do that is by accessing the five senses. So if a client has, let's say, reported a really powerful moment outside of session the week before, maybe they went on a float trip and they said for the first time in years, I just felt my body relax. Mm -hmm. We want to create a resource out of that. We can go through that experience moment to moment and having them access and identify all five senses and further strengthening and installing the experience of that sense with bilateral stimulation. Again, that would be slow, short sets of bilateral. The other option is by doing, um, I like to call it like a reverse assessment. I don't know if that's really the language, but it is utilizing, sure, <laughs> <laughs> utilizing specific pieces of the assessment to activate the positive memory either in the moment or of the past and so in this we're identifying a positive image a positive cognition and a desirable emotion and a desirable body a desirable body sensation and with each one of those we're pairing slow short sets of bilateral stimulation to mm -hmm. further enhance the way in which that memory is being stored within the system so this can be beautifully done if there's a special moment between you and your client in the session. Um, let's say, for instance, they cry for the first time and you may ask them, what was it like for you to express that kind of emotion in front of me? And they say, well, it's kind of scary, but it was nice. I've never really felt safe enough to do that. So in this, we could either tap into all five senses of what are they experiencing in this moment as a way to store that or we could have them identify what image represented the strongest part of this experience for you and what positive cognition feels true as you think about that moment. What emotions do you feel as you bring that up and where do you feel it in your body? And again, with each one of those individually, we're gonna pair that with slow, short sets of bilateral stimulation just to further support the way that memory is being stored. Mm -hmm. You can also uh, be creative with your clients and bringing in some kind of tangible uh, material anchor. Um, for instance, I had a client one time that used her Apple Watch as an anchor to uh, connect her with the sensation of, I have everything that I need, because she came from a childhood of poverty where she didn't. And so that physical anchor, we actually installed that as part of the resource. And so every time that she looked at it, every time it dinged on her wrist, it was just this little ping in her body of, I have everything that I need. I'm able to take care of myself now. So we can be really creative with our clients and finding all kinds of ways to cue their body and connect them with that desired state so that it's happening not only in session with us, but outside of session as well. At Beyond Healing, we really do view the therapeutic relationship as the most critical and influential resource as it's playing out at the time or has the potential for that. So as you are doing your trauma work with your client or you're doing your resourcing and resource development with them, try not to lose sight of how important each moment to moment is between you and your client and looking for just there's so many opportunities to create a resource and further strengthen it and those emerge from the therapeutic relationship so as you are noticing those as they come out come up don't hesitate to further strengthen them with bilateral this can really enhance the safety the felt sense of safety between you and your client and can set up um, a much safer and more supportive dynamic as you begin to enter into trauma processing. Mm -hmm. 
And this is one of the ways where we really invite our clients in to a true attachment relationship with us, where they discover that it's safe to feel that with us and safe to talk about what it feels like to finally feel safe with somebody. Um, and so that's a little bit different than how a lot of us were trained, but we really, really see the value of it and find that when we do that with our clients, our work takes on a whole new depth and they're able to move into material that is tremendously difficult and dysregulating because of the connection and the safety that they feel with us. So one of the most common questions that we get is when do you know that your client is ready to move into reprocessing? When uh, is it time to leave the safety of resourcing and begin to move into the more difficult and challenging waters of assessing targets and reprocessing? So the number one thing that we're always gonna keep in mind when it's time to ask ourselves this question and make this clinical decision is the safety of our client, both safety in general and within the therapeutic relationship. How connected are we with our client? How safe do they feel with us? How is that process of building a rapport and attachment going with our client? Um, and based on that, we can get a good sense of, does our relationship have what it needs in order to move into more challenging work and expect that we can still find co-regulation in the midst of that potential distress? We need to be ready to establish that connection with our client so that their nervous system is going to feel safe enough to open up to that more challenging material. Yeah, if, if their system is detecting a threat, um, as Melissa said, either relationally or about reprocessing that trauma, they don't feel safe or ready to do that. Whether that threat is real or imagined, the system will go into action mm -hmm. and it will employ various strategies to try to protect itself. So at this point, these strategies can show up in many different ways. Um, sometimes they look like blocked processing. We can't move any further. It doesn't go anywhere. We see that looping happening. They keep returning to the same material with no changes. The sun's not going down. No change in distress. Potentially, they just say, it's blank. I don't see anything. Another strategy that we see that oftentimes gets um, kind of misinterpreted is people-pleasing. So in this place is where we can see if a client isn't really feeling safe, it may look like the trauma is being processed very quickly and efficiently. And it's like, wow, that was crazy. How did that get there? And there's not a lot of affect or distress coming up that we might have expected given the material that we're working on. This would be a client where uh, suddenly, you know, we just went from a set of six to a set of zero in three sets and there was really not a whole lot that happened in between and we're uh, kind of having that moment of wait a second did it actually go that fast i mean i know emdr is kind of magical but is it that magical um, and so sometimes it really is there are certainly cases where reprocessing can go that quickly but especially if we're kind of early in our relationship we want to ask ourselves that question of could they be um, kind of moving through that material more quickly then is actually true to what they're feeling simply because they desire to do it right or to please me as their therapist. Uh, after all, we are an authority figure to most of our clients. We represent um, a person that has some power over them and that they may want to please, especially if that was a strategy from their past. So that can show up, especially early in the processing relationship. And so without a felt sense of safety relationally and in the process, these strategies come out and it can kind of skew the true authentic processing. 
So if they're just trying to people please or maybe avoidance starts happening or they start excessively talking, um, it's all of these nuances that you guys have all probably experienced many times in mm -hmm. session thinking like, what is it about this client? Why do they talk so much between sets? Or why is it that it seems to go so fast or they're not even really that upset? These may be strategies of the system saying, I don't feel safe. I don't feel mm -hmm. ready for this. So as we begin to notice these, we want to orient our curiosity around how might this individual be feeling too activated, overwhelmed, or threatened in this moment, and how can we increase safety for the sake of enhancing the processing. Mm -hmm. Another note to make here is that um, if we're noticing any of these blocks in processing, maybe avoidance of the process, even for ourselves as the therapist, we have to be checking in on how safe are we feeling about moving forward. So some of us get stuck in a loop of wanting to stick in resourcing with our clients for a really long time and feel ourselves kind of avoiding or delaying moving into trauma processing. Mm -hmm. If we don't feel safe enough or we don't feel that our client is safe in us enough, we're also going to show up with those same strategies. So we want to be self-reflecting here and just kind of noticing, is this one of my own personal blocks showing up or is this a true depiction of the client's felt sense of lack of safety or overwhelm? Mm -hmm. One of the things that we've kind of noticed more and more, especially as EMDR uh, is more popular, it's on the media, uh, a lot more in the media, on the media, anyway, it's more popular than it's ever been. And what that means is clients have some kind of expectation about how EMDR is supposed to work. It's not uncommon to get somebody coming in specifically for EMDR and they sit down and say, do the eye movement thingy because that's going to make all my problems go away. And they have a pretty unrealistic expectation. And sometimes that can make them rush to get to that suds of zero and feel as if it's all cleared when actually what's happened is that they actually have not dropped down and really felt the distress because they're anticipating uh, that result and they move there too quickly. So as we are, you know, walking through the resourcing phase and we're kind of teetering on that line of do we do we go ahead and take a step into reprocessing or not? We want you to know that resourcing can be used as stabilization to prepare them for, re for reprocessing, but can be returned to at any point in time. And in fact, we encourage that you return to it frequently, mm -hmm. um, that resourcing is kind of a home, a safe home base to come back to where they get to refocus on the sense of connection between you and them and just reorient to a felt sense of safety to better set them up for more um, intense or vast processing. Mm -hmm. So once we have uh, established enough rapport and connection with our client and we've done enough resourcing, we start to have that sense of, okay, I think maybe we're safe enough, right? We're ready to move into the deeper waters. And like Jen said, we can always come back to resourcing. So never forget that. So if we make that call a little bit too soon, um, no damage has to be done. We just kind of retreat back to safe waters and reestablish more safety before we try again. But at some point, we're going to take that leap and to move into uh, reprocessing the actual targets that we need to get to. And so once we have that sense that I think we're safe enough to move forward, there's some ways that we can titrate that experience for our clients to make sure that we maintain the safety that we have built through the resourcing process. We recommend when working with clients, especially clients who have um, complex trauma, we don't uh, cannonball <laughs> into the pool. We just do a toe dip. Mm -hmm. And that toe dip being selecting a very low impact 
trauma that is not associated with the traumatic memory networks that maybe they're coming in wanting to work on. This is just simply a test run. We want them to experience what is it like to utilize bilateral? What is it like to experience reprocessing of some sort? But we're selecting something that doesn't have much distress Um, And it's a way for us to kind of see how is our client going to respond to this? What strategies may be showing up? um, Where things might be getting blocked? So it gives us a lot of information as well as helps orient their system to the process. So it gives them a lot of context for what is EMDR going to be like. That context is another piece of creating safety for them. So they have to feel safe enough to be able to go in and reaccess the trauma of the past and be able to reprocess it. These little test targets that we work on, um, the small low impact events can really turn into a resource of some sort. It turns into an adaptive experience that is then associated with reprocessing. They got to have that adaptive experience. They got to feel how attuned we were to them and the co-regulation between us. And now we have yet again another resource. Mm -hmm. It can be a a little bit challenging to find a low impact event for some clients, but we really recommend taking the time to do it. So even though it may take us uh, almost a full session (laughs) to find something that's really going to be a good low impact event for them to work on, um, we find the benefit is well worth the time. And so we encourage you guys to try this and, and feel the benefit for yourself. Uh, Because if we do this well, we really avoid some of that early dysregulation that can sometimes happen when we move into reprocessing. It's a way of protecting our client's initial experience of EMDR so that we don't go too fast and then actually create a phobia of EMDR. Because we see that happen with clients sometimes. If we move into reprocessing too quickly, we choose a target that's too big, they don't have a great experience of it, and now they're afraid to try again. Or maybe we as the therapist might be afraid to try again. So this is a way of kind of keeping safety and going at a pace that everybody can handle well. So if that toe dip goes well and you want to wade in a bit further, um, it's still if we're taking kind of a a gradual patient approach, then we're going to look at choosing a low impact target that is directly associated with the trauma network that they're wanting to work on. Mm -hmm. So as we've identified this trauma network that we're working on, we don't have to go after the biggest event. We start with, again, something that's a bit smaller as a way to see what are the strategies of the nervous system associated with that trauma and what strategies might play out here and kind of gives us a greater picture of what we're working with. Same thing with the the low impact before, if we're able to clear this, we now have an adaptive resource directly connected with the trauma network that we want to continue working on. Mm -hmm. It turns that maladaptively stored experience that has low disturbance into now an adaptively stored experience that we can draw from as we progressively get into more disturbing and distressing events. We consider uh, low-impact events that are a good place to start, something that's right around a sense of five or lower, but we don't want it to be so low that there's not enough distress for them to really feel the shift. So kind of finding that sweet spot between about a set of three and a set of five. The other things that we want to avoid at the very beginning would be things connected with the major issues that they've come in to work on, family of origin issues, or shame issues. Shame tends to take us to all kinds of places that we may not be ready to go at the beginning. 
So some examples that can be a good place to talk with our clients to see if maybe we could find a good low impact event would be things like uh, medical incidences, uh, bullying incidences, um, maybe like a mean teacher. And we always wanna check and see how did family, how did parents respond to that? And if it's pretty disconnected and it was an isolated event, that can be a really great low impact event to start with for our clients. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast.